in chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. And uh, in the series we've titled Joy-Filled Living, and I share with you week in and week out, it's because uh, uh, Paul some 16 times in this uh, short four-chapter uh, book uses the word uh, joy or joy-filled. I mean, everything that talks about and deals with the, the aspect of joy. And remember, he's writing this from a Roman prison. So he's not just uh, talking the talk, but he's walking the walk. And so uh, he, it's a great uh, book to study and to read. I titled this morning's message, Thoughtology. I don't even know if that's a real word, but uh, uh, there's definitely a biblical principle to it, Thoughtology and thinking through what scripture talks about uh, with regard to the power of our mind. How many have ever heard, uh, you know, positive confession as a faith? There's the, the positive confession, you know, that you just have to say it, you know, and you got to speak it, and, and you hear that, and, and, and people can get, you know, uh, really sideways on, on, on certain doctrines, taking them to a, a far extreme, and then there's a balance of scripture. And there is something about the way that we think and the things that go through our mind. And we'll talk about some of those this morning as we study this text. And, and I pray it speaks to you uh, like it has to me this past week. And uh, I just thank God for his word. I thank God that it's a living word. And that no matter where we're at today, uh, God speaks to us. Amen. And, and it's so fascinating to me in that regard because I can look out and I can see different faces and I see different circumstances of life. And yet, our God is faithful, right where you're at, and he will meet you there. And, uh, and not only will he meet you there, but he will stay there with you. You're never alone with God, and I so, so appreciate that. And uh, so let's read this together, and we'll pray. Uh, let's pick it up there in chapter 4 of the book of Philippians, in verse 8, and then we'll read verse 9. It says, finally, brethren, and yet when he uses this word finally, I, you have to stop here for a second anyway, because you said this prior to this, right? And I told you when he uses the word finally, previous to this, is, is he's saying in addition to, that in the Greek language, the word finally means in addition to. But when you read the word finally here in the Greek language, it means in conclusion. So you, this is like, and you know this, because uh, I teach this way. I'll say, hey, for my last point, you know, the last, uh, I want to close with this, and then I give you five more points, you know. So it's just a pastor's thing. It's just, it comes with the heart of being a pastor. But Paul really means this is in conclusion, okay? So you can take a sigh of relief as we read this. So he says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And the things which you learned and you received and you heard and saw in me, these do and the God of peace will be with you. I love that. Let's pray. Father, help us to take these two verses that are so packed with so much insight to heart today. And not just that we would read it, but Lord, that we actually would seek to apply it. Um, Lord, we'll find today that we're all molded by our thought process and what we think about and Lord, we confess there's so many things that can go through our mind that aren't of you. They distract us. They, they tear us down. Um, we know that the enemy of our soul, he, he's a liar, he's a thief who comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And so, Lord, we thank you that as we study your word, God, it does not only bring life, 
Lord, and I pray for that life today, that if there's any here that have yet to receive you as Savior and Lord, that God, you would speak to their heart, that you'd open up their eyes, and Lord, they would hear you knocking on the door of their heart. And Lord, they would open that door and invite you in and experience maybe for the first time peace with God. And that, Lord, then you would follow that as they grow and understand your word and your will, that they would understand not only that we can have peace with God, but there's something special in that we can enjoy the peace of God. And may the peace of God rule our hearts today. Uh, Lord, we live in a very stressful time in this world, and I thank you so much for the church, men and women and young people alike who love you and who seek you and who, regardless of what's going on in the world, still have their joy, just like the Apostle Paul. Because, Lord, their eyes are fixed upon you. And so, Lord, we do that this morning as we study it, as we think about you and we think about your word. Lord, help us to love you with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, all of our strength today. And, Father, we, we want to lift up uh, Emily to you and thank you so much for her life. Thank you for the wife that she is uh, to John and, and the ministry that she has with with her boys and with her family. And thank you for the work that she does in our community and someone who's on the front lines uh, each day. And over this past year, uh, Lord, uh, would go into work uh, uh, as she was called. And Lord, uh, just be a beacon of light and hope for people. And just thank you for, Lord, the many blessings that you've bestowed upon her. But Lord, let this next year be even greater, Lord. Uh, that you would just lavish her with gifts from on high, that you would help her to know the height and the width and the depth of your love for her. We thank you so much for her and just pray that, God, you would bless this day. Let it be uh, very special for her as we pray. We do in the wonderful name of Jesus. And we all agreed saying amen. Amen. So, you know, in just two verses, I mean, you got to think about this. In two verses, Paul moves through this thought to experience, right? You look there in verse eight and he says, you know, think on these things, right? And then he gives us an action, you know, uh, experience here that he says, these things you do. And if you do these things, there will be an experience that will happen in your life. It says that the God of peace will be with you. So there's steps, you know, and I always like that when, you know, when I read the word of God and I can see a process, you know, it's been well said that, you know, our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And I want you to think about that today. Our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And what that's saying is what you and I think about, it shapes us and who we are and also in who we will become. If you could go back, which, you know, it's so hard for us, we can hardly remember things from yesterday, right? But just to think back, you know, 10 years ago, the things that you were thinking about and the things that you were doing have actually shaped who you are this very day. And so that's why it's important on a day like this is the things that you would think about and the things that you would receive in your mind and, and what you would meditate and what you would dwell upon, that those are shaping you for who you'll become even tomorrow. Proverbs 23, 7 puts it like this, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Like I said, what we think about shapes who we are. You know, the Bible says that the devil himself, he, you know, we, he's not equal to God and he's not even truly the opposite of God. You know, in many ways, he's, he's opposite. He's not opposite in, in, in the sense that, you know, he has the same powers of God, but he just uses his for evil. He is a created being. But there's one name that he's given in scripture 
that puts him on the same level as God. And that's when Jesus said that Satan is what? He said he's the Abba. He's the father of lies. He's the creator of lies. Now that's, that's his great credit, his legacy. He's the father. He's the, the Abba uh, of, of lies. And it's something to think about today because there's so many lies that, that we believe. Um, and again, an understanding today as believers, you know, we're in a battle, each and every one of us. When you came to Christ as Savior and Lord, you entered into a battlefield. It's a battle for your mind, uh, for the most part. When you think about, you know, uh, what the enemy of our soul desires to do. I mean, he attacks us first and foremost. He doesn't necessarily do it physically to us, but he definitely attacks us emotionally. He attacks us mentally. And that battle is right here between our ears. And so it's important to take to heart the things that the Apostle Paul would be teaching to us here. You know, we've all believed lies, and, and most of us don't even know the lies that we've truly believed in this, in this life. I can think of, you know, in a humorous way, lives that we've believed since we were kids, and many of us, maybe you believe it even to this day. Maybe today will be a great day of release for you. How many were raised and and under the belief that that you've heard the expression sugar high? How many have ever heard the expression sugar high? Right. So I have I have seven grandchildren now. Okay, and yeah, what a blessing. And and we have all kinds of sugar, you know, in our house, you know, sweets and stuff that they pick stuff that they like. And and there's there's a lot of negative negative aspects of of sugar. But one of the things of with regard to sugar, people say, well, if you give children sugar, they're going to get a sugar high. Well, if you know anything about science, that, that's not the case. You don't, you don't get a sugar high. Um, and, and, and parents want to argue that. Usually the things that cause the high, science will tell you, are the preservatives that are actually in it, but not the sugar itself. In the truest sense, sugar will make your kids sleepy because it'll spike their blood sugar and then what happens after about 10 minutes of a spiked blood sugar is it drops dramatically, right? But we give our kids sugary cereals and send them off to school, and then they get to school, and then, you know, five minutes after they get there, they're, you know. But if you gave them protein, you know, on the other hand, that would sustain their energy. But that's a whole other study. But, you know, we believe the lie that, you know, that sugar makes you hyperactive. How many were raised to believe that you couldn't swim in the swimming pool at least for 30 minutes after you ate? Raise your hand. Look at all the hours of swimming your parents ripped you off of, okay? Because that's a lie. You're, they would say, well, you're, all the blood is in your stomach, and so you're not going to be able to swim. You're going to cramp up and sink to the bottom of the pool, you know? That was just to give your mom 30-minute break, if you just want to know, or whoever it was that was your caregiver there. How about, you know, turkey makes you sleepy, you know? And we, we say that to people. You go, no, turkey has no more tryptophan than chicken or steak. You know why you get, you get really tired on Thanksgiving Day? Gluttony. <laughs> That's, you're so full, you, oh, you just got to pass out, okay? I'm sorry, you know, if, I, if I'm offending anybody, you go, no, it's not how it's supposed to be. How about reading in the dark will make you go blind? Did your parents tell you that? You'd be reading, you know, and you're in here. And, and, you, know, you know what it'll do? It won't make you go blind. It will do something. You know what it's going to do? It's going <laughs> to... Yeah. yeah. What'd you say, Nelson? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm not going to touch that one. <laughs> but uh, reading in the dark will give you a headache. 
It'll give you a headache. It will not make you go blind, okay? This is my favorite one, though, because my wife does this even with, with our grandkids. You know, some people, <laughs> how many of you ever heard the expression that uh, swallowing gum, it'll stay in your digestive system for up to seven years? Or even, I don't even care if it's seven, it's a couple of you. Or just that, you know, it's going to stay in your digestive system a long, long, long time. It, it doesn't. It passes right through just like everything else. Now, I'm not saying if you didn't eat like a, a wad or something that, you know, that it just got stuck, but it's not going to be because, you know, you ate a piece of gum, but uh, you love these things. And these are lies, but these are, these are things that we might laugh at and go, these, these are almost humorous. But you know what? As a pastor, um, I talk with people every single week whose lives have been crushed by a lie. Whether it was a parent, you know, telling a child, you know, you'll never amount to anything or it was someone telling, you know, uh, an employer telling an employee, you know, that uh, you're dumber than dirt and you'll, you'll never add up to anything. You'll, you know, you'll never be able to hold a position. I mean, it, it, it never ceases to amaze me the lies that people believe because someone told that to them. And, and they're, there are things that if you went back in your own life, if we were honest today, there's a lie that you believed and that lie has shaped who you are today. And, and God wants to set you free uh, from that. And there's a way that he goes about doing that. And, and we'd love to help you. You know, as we study God's word together, we can accomplish that. Sometimes, uh, though, it's deeper than that. Sometimes you have to sit down and, and because you think about, you know, um, whether it's a bad habit or anything else, how many have ever made a resolution? You know, most people, more I ask that, you know, around New Year's, you go, hey, I'm going to make a resolution. People go, no. And you go, how many, honestly, though, you've made a resolution ever of your life? It doesn't have to be on New Year's. I always love you guys that are already raising your hand because you, you already know where it goes. But you've made a resolution and you broke it. Anybody besides myself? Yeah. You resolved to do something. And you know why most of the time that we fail when we make a resolution? Because we're focusing on not the issue. We go, oh, I'm going to start going to the gym, or I'm going to watch, you know, what I eat, or I'm going to do this. And you go, that's the end result of it. You go, but there's a reason you go that I don't go to the gym. There's a reason that I'm not watching what I'm eating. So it's not the end. That's the end result. What's more important is to go back and figure out why, why. And, and that's what the apostle Paul is doing here is he's putting this together for us. And so when he uses this, this word, like I said, finally, you know, he's saying, okay, after all the things that, that I've told you thus far, finally, in conclusion, I'm telling you this. And he, and he starts right off with, with a couple of, of verbs. They're action words here. And he's calling his listeners. He's calling you and me to action. And again, and it, it's so amazing when I look at this, you know, in verse 8, it's an action to think. He wants us to think. So when you, you think about, you know, especially what you want to become, what your hopes, what your dreams are, um, you know, to think about those things. Uh, and again, as he talks about this, he uses the word to meditate, or it means to ponder. And then the second verb that we'll see here in verse 9 is he says, and to do. And, and he says, these things do. Everything that he talks about in verse 8 and verse 9, then he says, and then these things do. And as you do those things, he goes, there's an experience that will come to you. It's like you might say A plus B equals C here. And the C is the experience. And the experience is what? It's the peace of God. 
The peace of God will be with you, okay? I love what Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote. He said, sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. It starts with a thought. Our minds are so powerful. They can be powerful in the positive and they can be powerful in the negative. That's why we, you know, we say in simple terms, garbage in and what? Garbage out, yeah, is to watch what we allow in. Jesus said the same thing with regard to our thought process. In Matthew chapter 15, he says this in other places, Mark's gospel as well. Um, the Pharisees had come against him, challenged his teaching and the things that he was, he was doing. It says, and when he called the multitude to himself, he said, he said to them, hear and understand he says, it's not what goes into the mouth what defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. It says, then his disciples came to him and they said, do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Because they were talking about, you know, under the cleansing laws and the food laws and, you know, what was kosher and what wasn't. And, uh, and it says, but he answered and he said, every plant which my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. And they are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. And then Peter answered and said to him, explain this parable to us. Some of you are thinking the exact same thing. And, and Jesus said, he says, are you still without understanding? Do you not understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed from the mouth, they come from the heart and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulterers, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemy. Uh, these are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. It might make you sick, but it doesn't defile you. It's what comes out from the inside out. And so you can understand then it's guarding and protecting what you allow through your eye gate, what through your ear gate, through your mouth gate, all those things that, that we would allow into our being here. And again, so in, in the book of Philippians here, you know, like most of Paul's writings, you know, when you read him, I mean, he's always instructing the church to action. First, it's always about receiving, right? You know, I love the book of Ephesians, you know, and how, again, it's understanding who you are in Christ before you ever do anything for Christ. It's never confusing, you know, salvation by God's grace with works. Works always are the evidence of a saved life. It's not that we work in order to be saved. There should be evidences of things that, that again, are actions, you know, that stem from our thought process here. And you look at, you know, the Apostle Paul, you know, in his own life. That's, he goes back to it all the time. And, he, and, he, and it's not in a narcissistic way at all. He's using himself as an example. You know, again, we go back to the uh, the book of Romans. And what is he telling us, you know, in chapter seven, remember he says, you know, we can relate to this pretty much all of us, right? He says, you know, the wishing to do good is, is there. He goes, you know, I want to do what's right. He goes, but I just haven't figured out how to do it yet. And so we go, yay, Paul, you know, I can relate to, to Paul. But then we see later on, as he's saying, now be an imitator of, of me as I am of Christ. And you go, so what's, what's happened? It's called growth. It's called maturity. It's called, he's continued on. He's, he's learned some things. He's figured some things out as he's gone along here. You know, the battle, like I said, you, we have to understand that, that really there's two truths that, that the Apostle Paul desires that we, that we know. And it, especially when you think of it in light of the fact that he's writing this, again, from a Roman prison cell, okay? 
uh, talking about a time when he was in another prison cell when he was there in, in Philippi, okay? So this is a guy that spent a lot of time in, in prison and for nothing, nothing wrong, nothing, doing nothing wrong under the law in the sense only for whether it was in, in you know, Acts 16 for healing a woman um, or, you know, what they believed is insurrection, you know, preaching the gospel, uh, you know, saying something against what they would deem against Caesar. And, you know, here's and Paul ends up, you know, beaten and, and put into prison. And yet it, it doesn't cause him to turn sour. You know, again, it's easy for people to praise God when what? When, when life is easy, when life is going your way. But when, when life is, is not going the way that you would hope, that that's when you really prove out how, how real is your faith. Because I can ask you this really any time, but on a day like today, it's easier. Is God good all the time? Yeah, all the time, right? We say God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. And we recognize that. So then you go, so why is it then when something happens, you know, that we go, where's God? We start questioning, you know, where's, where, where is God, you know, in, in this situation? You, God is where he's always been. He's right there. It's not that God, God hasn't moved at all. Sometimes, how many, how many have ever seen those, those, remember those, I don't know, what, what do you call, they're like 3D pictures, right, that you could look at. They used to have them, I remember years ago, we were at the, the Valley Plaza. Lee and I were walking in there, and it was around Christmas time or something, and, and she comes up to these, there was a whole bunch of pictures, and I thought it was just like artwork or something. And my wife comes up to it and she stops and she goes, wow, that's beautiful. And I go, what? And she goes, well, can't you see it? And I go, what? And she goes, well, on that one, there's an eagle and he's got his talons out and he's coming into land. And this one over here, oh, it's a big ship. Oh, it's, oh and this one, oh, it's a sunset. And I'm getting mad. I'm going, she's lying to me. She's playing me here. She's, this is one of those camera things, you know. Uh, oh, because I'm going to go, oh, yeah, I see it. And they're going, liar. You can't see it because it's not there. And I'm like, but she's telling me. And I, so the, the guy's going, you just have to relax your eyes. You just got to relax your eyes. So I'm, I, I, can't, I can't see it. And finally, I don't know what happened. It was like a fleeting moment, right? I think I, think I did. I think I just got so tired I couldn't really stare at it anymore, and I started to look away, and as I started to look away, like out of the corner of my eye, I saw the eagle one, and I went back to look at it, and it was gone. Never saw it again, never seen it since then, but I, I, I do believe it, though, because I did see it for a millisecond, okay? But, but it's, it's a great lesson within that, that when we have problems, when we go through difficulties in life, what do we do? We focus on that thing, right? We're, we are locked in wanting to see whatever that thing is, and we're examining it and going, why God? Because we're looking at this moment we're in. But understand that everything God does, he does for, with what? Eternity in mind, right? He's the alpha and the omega. I mean, John's teaching in the book of Isaiah. You know, how many, how many millennia does, does Isaiah cover? You know, you think about, it. he's seeing things, you know, thousands of years, thousands, thousands of years across, and people are, you know, you see what? And you go, everything God does is from eternity. You and I are finite. We see what's in front of us, and we don't recognize that God is doing something that's so amazing because God is good all the time. All the time, God is good.
And so when you look at this, it's not that you focus on that picture with that same way they teach you, you know, what to do when you get and you're studying one of those 3D pictures. They say that the secret to it is not to focus on the picture, but actually to what? To look through the picture. And they kept telling me that. And I, but I understand the concept, though. And it's the same thing that the Apostle Paul has learned to do in his life. He's learned to not focus on exactly what it is in front of him, but to see through it. And the book of Philippians is such a great reminder of that because, again, he wanted to go to Rome to preach, right? Do you think that he thought he was going to be in prison to do it, though? <laughs> no. And so what did, what did he do? He thanked God that he got to what? He got to preach to all the jailers. The, the, the vision changed because it, God revealed things to him. But, I mean, Paul could have easily just went, you know, oh, God. Oh, God, why? Why? Why me? I mean, I, I serve you. I love you. And, and then, and this is the thanks I get. Like, like we really were, you know, like, you know, like, you know, we are saints because the Bible says we're saints, right? But we're saints because of the blood of Jesus, not because of anything that we've done, right? You know, and yet that's kind of where, where it comes from. Like, you know, why, why, why should I be going through this? I mean, like, you know who I am and how it's almost in a sense, I, I'm, I'm good. I mean, other people could go through this, but me? And yet Paul's on the side of it going, what? Why not me? He said, the life that I now live in the flesh, I what? I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's going, you know, I, I have this desire to, to suffer in the same way that Jesus does. So that you go, what? And I, I shared it with you before, and there's a beautiful thing to it. I go, how many of us have said, oh, God, I want to suffer with you. I want to suffer for you. No way. I want pleasure. And yet Paul's going now, because in suffering, what do I have the opportunity to do? To know God in a way that nobody else knows him. And we see, when you love somebody, and you think about this in love, and you really love somebody, you go, I want to experience whatever you experience. I want to be with you. I love you, and I want to, whatever you're going through, I want to go through, because we're one, right? And you go, and that's the truest sense of, of what love would be then. And that's what Paul's saying. I love Jesus. And I want, to, I want to experience everything that he experienced, so that I would know him. Because I want to know how he thinks. I want to know how he feels. I want to know how he acts. I want to know how he responds. And you go, yeah. And so Paul's going, again, as we shared last week, he says, rejoice always. Again, I say, rejoice, rejoice. Why? Because you can. And, and, and again, and he, and he goes into why you can. And this is what I love in this, is understanding these truths. You know, so the first thing, understanding this, the battle, the battle for your life and mine is won or lost in your mind. It's won or lost in your mind. What you think about God, right? It, the, what you think about God is the greatest thought that you'll ever have in your life. What you think about God. And then what you do with what you think about God. That will determine your eternal destiny. What you think about God. The second thing is that your thoughts, they control you. Or you control your thoughts. There's no middle ground. Your thoughts either control you. And you think about, you know, things in your life today. Thoughts that still haunt you from your past. That you haven't had victory over. Or there's a discipline that you develop in your life and you have victory over your thoughts. 
that there is no middle ground. And Paul makes it very clear. What has he done? There's a discipline. There's a spiritual discipline to victory. He said, I take every thought, what? Captive. You don't let your mind go. And you don't let other people plant things into your head. Everything is filtered through the Word of God. So my question then to me, to you this morning, you want to change your life? Is there anything that you want to change about your life? It begins with the way that you think. Change the way you think. Change the way you think. Romans 12, 1 and 2 puts it like this. I beseech you, Paul said, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, he says, which is your reasonable service. And what he's saying is, in light of the fact that Jesus went to the cross for you, the natural thing to you is to live for him. It's to live for God. Our natural response to what Jesus did on the cross is to live for him, to say, God, thank you. Thank you. I want to live for you. And he says, and then to do that in order to live for God, look what it says in verse two, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, I've shared with you, you know, these different statistics, you know, with regard to advertisements and the things that uh, we're bombarded with every day. But uh, a recent study um, stated that each and every one of us is bombarded with about 500 unintentional and intrusive thoughts every day, meaning that not something that you wanted coming into your mind or into your head. You know, they just, they come from all different aspects of life. 500 unintentional or intrusive thoughts. And they last for about 14 seconds. So you think about that. That's almost two hours out of a day that we're dealing with intrusive thoughts, okay? There's just something to think about. So even if that's off, that's still, there's a lot of time that we are dealing with intrusive thoughts entering into our mind, unintentional, uninvited thoughts into our mind. So it's no wonder the Apostle Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, he says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down these strongholds, right? Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against what? The knowledge of God. Bringing what? Every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Because see, you and I have an adversary. You know, you know what the, the devil, the, 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 the number one lie that the devil has convinced the world of? The number one lie is that he doesn't exist. Most people walk around today, even, even Christians, just totally oblivious to the devil. We blame people, we blame the government, we blame the car in front of us, you know, whatever the thing is, we blame everything on everything except for where that blame truly should go. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Is that you and I would see things right, because if we don't see it right, then how can we respond right? How will we think right? And so I love this, you know, as you look at, you know, Paul, he gives this list of six things there in, in verse eight. And they basically say the same thing, so we're not gonna dig into all of them. Um, he's just, 
bringing us to a point that, uh, and helping us understand and trying to describe, you could say, righteous thinking. That, that's really what this is about. If you're writing this down, you go, righteous thinking. You know, he's talking about things that are true and noble, and, you know, you can see the progression of it. You know, if true things are noble, noble things are just, just things are pure, pure things are lovely, and then all those things are what? They're, they're of good report. And the bottom line, what he's telling us and why it's so important, you know, that we're in the word of God is the Bible itself is what governs righteous thinking. So we'll look at a, a few of these words here. Look at in verse eight, that word true there. It says, whatever things are true. Now, again, that's a great way for Paul to start. Because why? Because God is truth, right? Everything about God is true. There is no lie in him. There's no partiality in him. That's why Jesus could say, I am the way. I am the what? Truth. I am the life. Yeah. In John chapter 17, Jesus, when he prayed for me and for you, for the disciples, he said, Father, sanctify them, Father. He said, by your what? Truth. Sanctify, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is what? Truth. Yeah, the word is true. So when you have a thought or an idea or an opinion that is contrary to the word of God, what should you do? What should I do? Let God be found true, right? And every man a liar. I, I'm fascinated at times, you know, talking to people in our own church. Well, I know what the Bible says, but this is what I believe. Okay. You can believe that. It doesn't make it true, but it's interesting. Can you believe a, a lie long enough that you believe that it's true? Yes. That's one of the dangers, is that you can believe a lie and it has the same impact on you that the truth would, because you just believe a lie. The point would be like this. There's a large, shaggy-haired dog. He goes by the name of Max. And Max won't leave the yard. The car drives by. Max loves to chase cars. The thought of just grabbing that bumper and ripping it off the back of that car, man, that's something he'd love to do. Max wants to give chase so badly, but he just sits in his yard. Two boys start playing catch in the street, and the ball rolls to the edge of Max's yard. He desperately wants to get that ball and run from the boys, but he doesn't. One of them teases him. What's the matter, Max? Afraid of the ball? Max wants to bite the little brat. <laughs> but his tormentor is just outside the yard. A cat walks down the street, and Max can't even imagine the nerve of that cat. He knows they're evil and they're only on this earth to do Satan's work. <laughs> Mac wants to attack this thing. He wants to bring a hailstorm of violence down on this feline's life. Yet he cannot. Why? There's an invisible electric fence that lines the perimeter of his yard. This type of fence puts out one of those little invisible beams. And when the unsuspecting dog crosses the line, zap. He gets a small jolt of electricity. The first time the dog is confused, he tries to leave the yard again. Then zap, another painful little sting. And if the dog is stubborn or maybe just dumb, he might try a third time. After this, he's pretty much learned his lesson. He knows he'll never be able to leave the yard again. Max's owners, they have an invisible electric fence. Actually, Max's owners used to have an electric fence. They bought one, they set it up, they turned it on. Max was shocked several times. The fence also zapped the neighbor kid who tried to come get their Frisbee out of the yard. 
so the, the kid's parents complained, and Max's owners decided to return the electric fence to the store. Several years have passed since they owned the fence, but even still, Max will not leave the yard. Why? Because he thinks he can't. He believes he can't. In his mind, he's a prisoner missing out on the life that he wants to live. He associates life on the outside, outside the boundaries of his yard, and he associates them with pain. The magical place where cars can be caught, balls can be stolen, an evil mission of cats can be thwarted is just out of reach. He has no idea that the only thing keeping him constrained is a lie that he believes. You think about that. Max believes the lie. And then you think about all the things today, all the lies that you believe. They're not true, but you believe them. And so to you, they're true. And they hinder your life. Jesus said, and it's why I'm blessed. It's why John's blessed to be able to teach you the word of God, because we know that the word of God is truth. And Jesus said, the truth you'll know, and the truth will set you free. And that's why it's so important. You know, so then he goes on, he says, noble. Whatever things are noble. So when you think about, these are the things you think about. So you think on truth. You And his word is truth, okay? That's what he's bringing us back to. It's not, oh, there's all kinds of truths, or it's true to you. No, truth. God's word is truth. Make that the number one thing in your life. Noble. Whatever things are noble. It means worthy of respect, dignified, worthy of awe. Have you ever read the Bible and just been in awe of the word of God? We should be. I mean, to think that God would send his son into this world to die for me and you. We should be in awe of that. How about just? Whatever things are just. It means right or righteous. You know, scripture teaches us how to walk the righteous path, right? We see principles for righteous living all throughout scripture. Psalm 119 comes to mind. David writes this. He says, your word is a lamp to my feet. And what? It's a light to my path. Yeah. It's just. How about pure? I think most of us understand that. It means wholesome, right? Not many wholesome things in the world today, is there? You know? No. So we have to be really, really careful. Why? Because garbage in, what? Garbage out. I mean, we, we, are, we, we just think that, you know, oh, it ha it'll have no impact. You know, I'm older, I'm mature, I can handle it. You know, da, da, da. Man, those are lies from the pit of hell. Garbage in, always garbage out. Morally pure is, you know, what it's speaking of. To meditate. Meditate means to ponder, right? Over and over and over. Do you meditate on the word of God? I love the fact that when you do a word study, you find that the word meditates, the same word as ruminate. Rumination, most of you, if you know anything about cattle, you understand this. It's gross. But a cow will eat its cud. It'll chew it up, and then it'll what? It'll spit it up back into its mouth, right? So in essence, it throws up, throws it up back to, and then chews it again, chews it again, swallows it again, throws it up again, chews it again, chews it again, goes through this process numerous times. You go, yeah. yeah. And you, we drink milk and we have steaks and, you know, no, and you go, ah. You go, but what is the process? It's 
the same thing. It's taking the word of God and chewing on it, regurgitating it, chewing on it some more, chewing on it some more. You know, it's like people, we can go, we're just reading two passages of scripture today. We really could have just read one. You ever read Spurgeon, much of Spurgeon? I always crack up with Spurgeon. I mean, he'll take one word from, you know, he'll read, he'll read a passage of scripture, take one word from it. And I'm, I, I'll, I do this because I want to know how much time it's going to take me to, how much can I devote to something? I'll start flipping the, I'm going like this, Spurgeon's works, right? One word in a study, one word study. I go, and I tell Lee, I go, he didn't have a TV. I, I said it every time. He did not have a TV. You, you can't write 27 pages of, of six font. <laughs> you go, no, it's just amazing. You stand in awe. It, it's just so profound. God's word is so, so rich. So, so rich. How can a young man cleanse his ways? Take heed according to what? The word of God. It was John Bunyan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. He was put in jail for his faith and on the loose leaf of his inside of his, his Bible, he, he said this. Most of you are familiar with this quote. He said, either this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Yeah, his word is truth. You know, people, they argue against the Bible, right? Oh, there's contradictions in the Bible, right? You go, no, really what's happened is the Bible's contradicting them. Because you can ask, them, hey, what's the contradiction? Most people can't even tell you what it is. It's just they have a problem with, god you know because again you can understand the life of an atheist because if you can say there is no god then there's no accountability but if there is a god then guess what we are accountable to him and there lies the argument verse 9 paul goes on he says and the things which you learned and received and you heard and you saw in me you know he's not being proud here he's going it works that's what i want to tell you he's going, i'm living proof he said, here's the key, action. Again, present tense imperative. Both meditate and do. It means it's a command. It means do it. He's not asking. He's not saying, hey, this is a suggestion. He's commanding them. He's commanding us. He said, these things do. And the experience, the outcome, you're going to love it. He says, and the God of peace will be with you. That verb, like I said, in verse 8, meditate. The second verb there in verse 9, these do, present tense, active, imperative, not suggestions. Why? Because Paul understands full well that your inner life, my inner life, dictates our outer life. What you allow into your mind will come out through your feet. That's what's going to happen. So you can think back. You go, so Paul could say, you know, do as I do. Do these things. Be an imitator of me. So we go right back. Highlight this. Go back and study it for yourself. Here's Paul and Silas. They're in Acts chapter 16. They're in a prison cell there. They've been beaten, right? You know, I, I kind of picture them, you know, being knocked unconscious, right? You know, just beaten almost to death, right? That's what Paul is telling us. You come to, and he looks over there, and you can kind of picture this, and Silas is, you know, over there. They're beaten. They're bloodied. He looks and they kind of get that, you know, kind of a grin on their face like, we're still here. We're not dead. You know what that means? God's not done. 
What do we do? What do we do? Paul sits up and he's going, you know, I just want to tell you, he said, this is a bunch of junk, man. This is dumb. I mean, I, I, I mean I'm so ticked at God. I can't wait. When I, I, I'm so angry. I mean, why, why is he doing this to me? I mean, you know, doesn't he understand? I mean, you know, I mean, I've been out just sharing the gospel. I mean, every place I go, I just try to tell people about Jesus. And this is the thanks I get. You know what? I'm not doing this anymore. Silas, what do you think about? You know, let's just go, let's invent better tents. Okay. Let's just come up with a better tent. No, we know from scripture what they did, right? They sat up and they praised and they prayed. And what happened? And you have to get this in the order because it's the same thing here. Oh, we all want peace, right? Oh, I just need the peace of God. And you go, well, it doesn't just fall out of the sky on you. Jesus said, you ask and you seek and you knock, you pursue it. How do you pursue it? You meditate. You guard your mind. You, you don't let that stuff in. So when your friends come over, oh, I just can't believe this. Is why I don't believe in God. You know, da, 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 da. You say, shut up. I love you, but shut up. Not, I'm not hearing it. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Do I understand it? But you know, people, there's nothing to be happy about. You know, happy or not in hell. I mean, you think about it. You go, that's harsh. You go, no, that's, that's reality. I mean, anything else is a slap in the face. God loved us so much that he sent his son to die on a cross in my place, in your place. Should have been me there. It should have been you. But it was Jesus. And not so that we would sit around, you know, and wallow and have a pity party in our life. That's what happens when you focus on the thing. But if you back up and you see through the thing and you go, hey, what the enemy meant for evil, God is turning for good. And I don't even know how he's going to do it. I just know that he is. Paul didn't know how he was going to work it out. Paul's just testifying, looking back over it and going, God is good all the time because you get what you look for. That's the bottom line. You get what you look for. I was reading a book this last week and they told the story about a... Uh, a young man, probably in his 20s, was talking with his mom and said he was really distraught about life, all the things that he saw in the world. She said, well, you know, there's a, a retired pastor. He lives a couple doors down. Why don't you go down and, and talk with him, see what he says? So he said, okay. So he goes down, knocks on the door, introduces himself. The pastor invites him in and he just tells him, I says, I, I, just, I just don't see I just don't see God any, anywhere. I mean, I look around the world today and I see all the things that are going on. I just don't see God in it. And the pastor, you know, had his glass on, took his glass off, and he said, son, and he said, uh, I have a different problem. He said, my problem is, he goes, I see God in everything. He goes, he's everywhere. And you go, why, why is that? And you go, because you'll see what you're looking for. You will find what you're looking for. God made a promise for those that would seek him. He said, if you'll seek me, what? Not half-heartedly. Not occasionally when, you know, you're feeling good, but you would seek him all the time. He said, if you'll seek me, what? You will find me when you seek me with what? All of your heart. Yeah. And that's what Paul's done. And so what happens? You know, if you look there, and I think, you know, in Acts 16, it's a, probably about, I think, verse 26. And what God does. And you go, when God comes to... Paul and Silas there. And the chains fall off and the prison doors open. Did that give place for them then to 
praise him? Or was it because they were praying and they were praising him that the chains fell off and the doors came open? It was prayer and praise precedes the peace. You want peace? You praise him. You pray to him. And the peace of God will rule your heart. But you're not going to get it any other way. You can try. People can tell you, oh, you should do this, you know, do this. No, scripture tells us what to do. But there is some work there. It's a gift to us. But there's work there. Paul knows full well our inner life dictates our outer life. And you can rest in this today. Where God is present, his peace is present. Amen? Where God is present, his peace is present. So what do we need to do? We need to practice the presence of God. We need to continually, and this is what Paul, this is what he did. This is what he finally comprehended. This is what changes everything. This is the game changer. It's why every time we receive communion, we try to bring this out. Jesus said, go into all the world, right? Make disciples, teach them everything that, you know, I've taught you. And then he finishes it with what? And lo, what? I'm with you always. I'm with you always. All of a sudden you start realizing that no matter what you go through in this life, God is there. Do you see him? No. But you sense his presence. And how will you know that? Because there's a peace. There's a peace that Paul says that what? Guess what? It surpasses knowledge. You can't even, you can't even put a label on it. It's so good. You're not going to just figure, oh, this is how you go. You know, No, it says it surpasses knowledge. The peace of God, which surpasses knowledge. I like that in Philippians 4, 6 in the NLT translation. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God. Be persistent in our prayer. Never forget. Never forget. If it's big enough to worry about, then it's big enough to pray about. Amen? I love this. If it's on your mind, then it's on God's heart. If it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. He knows. He knows what you're going through. Full well. In big, bold print in my notes, I have it here. When you've had enough, God is enough. These are just things that, that Paul came to understand. The Lord is near. That's what he's, he's declaring. The Lord is near. No matter where you go, he is there. You can rejoice. So what's the enemy try to do? Why is he attack our mind? To get us distracted. To get us to look at other things. To get our eyes off of Jesus. I think back in, in the Old Testament to the prophet Elijah. You think about, I mean, this is, again, why we study names and what names mean and everything else. You think about Elijah, of all the people. His name should have been a reminder to him that God was present all the time, right? His name, El. And Elijah, short for Elohim, which means what? God. The, the I means my, my, my God, right? Jah. Uh, that's the way that the Israelites uh, shortened Yahweh, Yah. 
Jehovah. So his, his name actually means, you know, Yahweh is my God. My, he's my God. He's present. He's, he's there. He's in, in my life. And Elijah, what is he doing? He goes into a state of panic that he forgets, just like you and I forget that God is near. And so how did God reveal himself to Elijah? You remember? The Lord said, go out and stand there in 1 Kings 19, 11. He said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. It says, then a great and a powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in a fire. And after the fire came, what? A small voice, a gentle whisper. God wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquakes, not in the fire, not in the silence. He was in a whisper, a still, small voice. And I've shared this with you before. You know, when you get to that place, and we're all going to get there. The Bible says be anxious for nothing. Why? Because we get anxious. We get stressed. We get depressed. Those things come upon us. But what should we do when those things happen? Peter writes, well, then casting all of our cares upon him because he cares about us, right? That we give those things over to God. But when you think about the story with Elijah, especially, why does God whisper? Why, why isn't God yelling, you know? It was C.S. Lewis, remember, you know, he said, you know, that, you know, God shouts in our, in our, our pleasures, but he whispers in our pain. You know, that pain is, is God's megaphone, you know, in a sense, he said, to rouse, you know, a, a deaf world. You go, but why does God whisper? Why does he whisper? You go, you don't have to yell when you're close by, do you? You don't have to yell when you're right there. And the reminder to Elijah, to me, to you this morning, is God's right there. He's near. What does he say about those that have a broken heart? Is he far away? No, he says God is near to the brokenhearted. He's right there. God says to himself, he says, I become a, a husband to the husbandless and a father to the fatherless. Those are dynamics of relationships that not everybody gets to enjoy. But the people that are going through those things get to experience God in such a profound way because he's ever faithful because God is good all the time and all the time God is good. Amen. Things to take to heart. But like Elijah, we get fixated, you know, on the presence of our problems and we lose sight of the presence of God. And that's why Paul reminds us today, he says, be reminded, think on these things, be reminded of these truths, go back and, you know, study them for yourself. Paul demonstrated in his own life, peace is preceded by prayer and by praise. The peace was the outcome. You think about, you know, how practically practical practicing the presence of God is. Just reminding ourselves constantly, you know, God's there. God's there. Verse 6, going back in Philippians 4, it's, don't be anxious for anything, but in every situation you find yourself in, what? By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Present your request to God. 
And what will happen? What's the experience? The peace of God. The peace of God will be yours. So if you're not enjoying peace today in your thought process, what are you thinking about? What are you thinking on? What are you meditating on? And it's a great reminder, you know, for all of us. When somebody starts going off the reservation, you know, what should we do? Hey, 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 what are you thinking about? What are you thinking about? Don't let your mind go there. Think on these things. Go right, take them right back. Philippians 4, 8, take them right back there and say, hey, think on these things. Think on these things. Think on these things. Why? And they go, why? And you go, because when you do that, guess what? The peace of God will be yours. Because you're going to be reminded of what? He is faithful to his promises. Why? Because he is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. We'll pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, as we close the service today, uh, Lord, I pray for every heart, every home. God, I pray that you would help us this week to guard our minds, to protect our thought process, to dedicate ourselves afresh to truth, to your word. Lord, if there's ever a time in human history uh, with knowledge increasing so rapidly, we are bombarded every day. It's no wonder life is overwhelming. But thank you that the canonization of Scripture is closed. There's no new word you know, that you, you're giving us. Uh, you've given us 66 books, a love letter from Genesis to Revelation that, Lord, we can trust we can stand upon we can find comfort we can find rest we can find hope we can find help we can find whatever it is that we have need of to live a life that's pleasing to you and one or that's pleasing to us it's right there in the pages of our bible and so lord help us this week to walk in that truth to think on those things we love you and we thank you so much lord for loving us like you do have your way, Lord, in each of our lives, we pray for your glory. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, be blessed as you go. If you need prayer for anything today, you know, maybe just grab somebody that's around you. Hopefully, we'll see you uh, tonight at 6. And we've got, uh, again, like I said, together we can at 3. You can help us push that, that out uh, into our social community here. And uh, be blessed as you go today. Have a wonderful day in Jesus.
Your love is relentless. Well, God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week in Jesus. Look forward to seeing you throughout the week.